Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you. Uh, Ian Smith, you, uh, with you between 9 and 12 this morning, uh, a really busy morning. We're going to talk straight away to Grant Fox, uh, All Black Selector, get his views on uh, that performance, uh, the red card, uh, and just how uh, our All Black team is progressing. You can't, uh, you can't really take away from the results at the moment. Uh, how's he seeing it? Holly Robinson, gold medalist in the Javelin Paralympian. Fantastic. We'll be talking to her. Uh, we'll do some cricket just after 10 o'clock. Um, then we've got a panel with uh, Courtney Tidy and Patrick McKendry this morning. Uh, and uh, Louis Herman Watt, Paul Mawadi uh, before 11 o'clock, Andrew Voss on the league, and Dave Worsley, of course, on the US Tennis Open. So plenty to talk about uh, in the next three hours. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy Sermon. Well, 12 medals from a super successful Paralympics, a convincing and dominant display by the All Blacks, an amazing turnaround victories by both our cricket teams. Okay, the Warriors were awful, maybe predictably so. That was a hiding, a total blitzing, and now that pain is over. But by and large, a pretty pleasing weekend. But we are a hard bunch to please. The All Blacks averaged 40 points per game over the three Bettisloe Cup matches. They were never in danger of losing. They tried umpteen combinations to provide a deep squad with opportunities and experience. They pressured the Wallabies into countless errors and then pounced. The finishing was quite ruthless, sublime at times. We'd normally take 3-0 over the Wallabies home and away. Surely we would. Uh, Apparently not though. Even when Artie left the field, the leadership group took over. Effectively, our fifth captain in six test matches this calendar year. So Bodie missed a few kicks? Well, he always does. A Barrett was sent off in Perth. That always seems to happen as well. But surely there's plenty more upside to down, so why won't we cut Fozzie a break? He's got the green light, the ultimate goal is a long trek away, but the small steps are certainly in the right direction. It's like there's a constant right index finger pointed in his direction, wanting more and wanting it now. Ian Foster better have a very thick hide or the ability to develop one very quickly, otherwise it's going to be a long two years ahead of him, and an even longer one for you. It is uh, 9.05 here on SENZ, very pleased to welcome uh, along to the show first up this week, uh, Grant Fox of course on the back of a 3-0, yes I say 3-0 
pasting of the Wallabies uh, and the performances from my point of view uh, tended to get stronger and stronger the further we went into the series. Uh, but uh, with a more definitive look at it, uh, we've got joined by the All Black Selector Foxy. Good morning to you. Um, a day yeah, after, how, how are you feeling about that performance? How, how do you look at that one? Oh, satisfying. Um, you know, we don't clean sweep these guys very often. In fact, it's only the fourth time in the last 10 years. So it's a rare occurrence. Um, and, you know, there was a bit going on around this test match with us, you know, delaying going over, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I just thought it was a bit of a, a, a bit of a statement performance, really. Um, you know, they talked all week about how important it was, um, you know, that we were chasing this clean sweep. Um, I loved, you know, when I mean, your team's attitude is really set on defence, isn't it? And that showed in space. I thought it was possibly one of the best defensive efforts we've seen in the last number of years. Um, and I heard your sermon at the start. And, you know, the Wallabies do talk about the errors they made, but they were pressured into errors by this relentless defence. And we were pretty good at capitalising on their, on their mistakes. You were. I mean, it was, it was amazing, actually. And you look across the, the three tests, I look at that. I look at their errant passing, their decision-making, and that was the, the, as a result of, of being under pressure and putting a young bloke at number 10, uh, who'd done pretty well against France, uh, putting him in a different light, I, I thought. So uh, let's, let's focus on our, our guys, though. Uh, Bowden Barrett yesterday at 10, you, you gave him that roll car launch, of course, with um, Richie Moonga at home. How did you feel he went overall? Overall, very well. Um, I mean, he just needed time, Bowden. You know, he hadn't been at test level for a little while, and... You know, he's the sort of guy that just needs a little bit of a run at things. Uh, he's going to get that now while Richie's at home. So, you know, put the goal kicking to one side. He'll fix that. Um, I just thought that, you know, he he led well. Um, I, I, I'm hardly thinking of a poor decision or a poor skill execution. Um, you know, when we were down to 14, the way we were able to withstand that, just like we did at Eden Park. You know, the guys plotted their way through that very well, and that's... You know, the leadership group taking ownership there, making sure that, you know, we're doing all the right things. Um, and some deft little skill touches that he's renowned for. You know, that little grubber kick off his left foot that set up that first try was, I just thought, brilliant. Um, you know, his, his line kicking, the penalty uh, line kicking was superb. At times he carved off huge distances. Um, you know, sure on defence. I just thought he had an all-round good game. So can we just... Just pop back to the goal kicking because if, if I look at the texts that are coming in and the comments, it's about a lot of it's about that. So you know, uh, w are we looking yeah. here at a, a technical thing or or an or an occasion thing? I mean, you know, is he kicking those goals in practice and not at game time, or is it is, is it an issue with his, his placement foot or whatever? I mean, you'd be looking at, the, at this very closely, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, well, I'm at home, so I'm only looking from here, so I'm not knowing the work that they're doing during the week, but it'll be a lot of work and. I'm sure he'll be kicking well. He just, the first two kicks were very good. You know, got through the ball nicely and then then he didn't get through the ball and he was he was dragging them. So that to me was pretty obvious. He, it'll be obvious to him. I'm just wondering if there was a little niggle somewhere along the line in his groin or something that that might have caused that because, you know, when Damien came on, the kicking went straight to him. And that may be an indication that you know, maybe something had tightened up and was he was struggling with it. I don't know yet. I haven't seen a medical report yet. haven't got the download, but um, I'm, I'll talk to Foz today and find out if that is, is in fact the case. The uh, sending off is the other issue people are talking about, uh, yeah. you know, over text machines, etc. How, how did you read that, Foxy? 
Well, I mean, I thought the red card was harsh. Um, so I do understand the rules and the need to keep the head sacrosanct. Um, but it's instinctive, not deliberate. Um, you know, you're taught to go up that way, get your get your knee up. You know, the foot came out, um, you know, accidental. You know, I do wonder, and, and Marika collided with him while he was in the air. Now, that doesn't mitigate the foul play. But, you know, if the foot hadn't made made contact with the head and he runs into, um, into Geordie, we're maybe looking at the card the other way. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, I mean, I guess we're going to have to wait to see what the disciplinary committee think. Because I can understand the referees going through that process. And, well, I don't need to, I thought a yellow card was probably suffice. You know, the red card, I can actually understand it. But I guess the disciplinary committee, you know, um, with Geordie, I guess, there, being able to defend themselves, you know, we'll just, we'll just see what the punishment is. Maybe the red card will be enough. Who knows? Well, if, if we look at that, <clears throat> it's probably the first time in a really big game of rugby we've been involved in, uh, Foxy, that uh, we've seen this 20-minute red card and played it. Yeah. What did you like about that, uh, you know, bringing Damien on I, after I, that 20-minute period? Yeah, well, I, I, I've been advocating for this for a long time. Um, you know, um, what it does is it, it evens the game up because, you know, you can ruin the spectacle. People who pay good money, whether we like it or not, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on around the game, quite apart from the game itself. And part of that is the fans wanting to see a contest. And the moment it goes down to 14 men, often you don't see that. So I like, I like the sanction, to be honest, that you can replace after 20 minutes. I just think it's sensible uh, and, and, and protects the integrity of the game without actually ruining the seriousness of um, the circumstance that led to the red card because that player can't come back. It's not the team's fault that the player did that. But, um, you know, I, I, and look, maybe in time there are some other circumstances around this if the World Rugby want to adopt it properly is, you know, what is the actual offence? You know, if there is really serious intent about something, then maybe maybe the player, you know, shouldn't be able to be replaced. Um, if it is, you know, just one of those things where contacts happen, which is accidental, but the card is warranted, then... Maybe 20 minutes of the right. I guess then you're putting yourself in, in judgment what, what's intent and what was accidental. So, don't know, but in, in, in principle, I like, I like the idea of being able to replace the player after 20 minutes. You left um, um, 100 tests, 100 tests uh, halfback at home uh, and Aaron Smith, but um, of course, uh, you've still got three very, very good halfbacks over there. Uh, what did you make of the, yep. of the mix yesterday from uh, the number nine perspective? Well, it's the same sort of mix we've sort of been getting in. Where we start with a guy who's, you know, very quick to ruck, a quick passer, um, keeps the tempo of the game up, and then you bring on the experience that really understands, you know, the situation you're in and can settle a ship if need be, or you know, stiffen up that defensive line around the uh, around the fringe. So, you know, I've, I, I, that's just the balance we've been going to. Um, you know, we got to work out, you know, at some point, TJ, will get a start. We've just got to work out when that is. Um, and also, you know, Finlay Christie's there rearing to go, and he was very good in, in July, wasn't he? So he'll also get an opportunity at some point. But I just like the balance of the skill set we've got, you know, those sort of contrasting styles, and it, and it suits what the team needs. Speaking of balance, um, the, the loose forward mix uh, seems to be going really well. Um, you know, you've had Artie at eight, uh, Dalton, Popoletti at seven, uh, Kiri Uwani. Uh, and I think this combination not only is working well, but it seems to be bringing out the best in uh, Kiri Uwani. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Akira's done a lot of work to get to this point. You know, we've all seen his talent for a long time. Just hasn't quite delivered on that, and it's been a you know it's been a rocky road for Akira. Um, but you know, he's he's reacted well to adversity. Um, you know, he's done the work. We've shown some faith in him, um, and you know, all all of a sudden he is showcasing the talent we've always believed he's had on the biggest stage of all. So. Yeah, he just got, we just wanted to keep progressing. You know, we've got to be careful we don't burn him out now. He's had a heavy workload. You can't just keep trucking because eventually the performance trend will go down. So, you know, management will be critical over the next period of time because we've still got a long road ahead of us this year. But um, very mm. pleased with him. Um, you know, Dalton's been great. Um, you know, he brings a real physicality in the seven role, um, which is what we're looking for. You know, that's what Sam Kane brings. And Artie... You know, just the experience. He's comfortable at either seven or eight, um, but we know his ex- his explosiveness, his his um, competitiveness, um, his skill set. Um, you know, his ability to to create leg drive post contact. I just think the, the the mix and the loose forwards is is working well at the moment. Right. Okay. So um, Australia ticked off. No problem there. Um, Argentina over the next fortnight. From a selection yep. point of view, I know you've got to look at medical reports and talk to uh, Ian yep. Foster during the week. Yep. But are we looking at some uh, some tinkering, uh, Foxy? There and, and has that been planned from the outset anyway? Oh, look, we always there, there's tinkering to the point of you know yes we've got to get through um, the injury reports, see who's who's fit and available. You know we've got to consider the big picture in terms of workload. Um, but we've also got to look at what's ahead of us and, you know, and, and when a player will need a break. So we've got South Africa at the back end of this, um, and, you know, that, that will be a severe test, as will Argentina be. So, um, you know, we won't be tweaking an awful lot, to be perfectly honest. You know, we sort of our thought is that we've got to make sure that we've got who we think is our best available group ready to take on South Africa and work backwards a bit from there. We've got a rugby championship we're desperate to win. So we can't afford a you know, banana skin game like we had last year, even though we got the championship done in the end. So um, you know, we've given this a lot of thought, um, and we've got a plan. But of course, uh, injuries um, can derail that. Um, so just, we've just got to wait and see that scrubs up this morning, Smitty. OK, um, just finally then, Foxy. Uh, if we had to play South Africa uh, you know, next week uh, as opposed to Argentina, where do you think we're at? I mean, everyone else is using that as the yardstick. Are you using them as the yeah. yardstick in terms of uh, uh, progress? Um, yeah, well, it, we haven't played, we didn't play them last year, and so, it'll, you know, that'll be the test to find out where we're at. They're the World Cup holders. Um, you know, they beat the Lions. Um, they cleaned up Argentina at home. So they, they will be a benchmark for us, but... Sort of mulling, they're out walking the dogs at the moment. I sort of been mulling. I thought I might get this question. I've sort of been mulling it over because there's a lot of talk about sort of woeful wallabies. Well, you know, I think we're going to find out where they're really at in the next four weeks as they play the two teams we're going to play, and we'll find out you know, a bit more about where we're at. So, you know, me thinks that these wallabies might be a little bit better than they're given credit for, even though you know we've we've just we've clean sweeped them. And you know, just maybe we mightn't be a bad team. We're going to find that out, and you know, and we'll all, you know, be able to sit back a little bit more and measure where everyone's at, including the Wallabies. Um, you know, after the next four weeks, I mean, it's a heavy schedule. So we've got five big tier one test matches and um, four consecutive weekends. So it's um, it's yeah. pretty brutal. 
Okay. Well, four um, consecutive weeks, finally, five finally, weekends, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, of course, you head even, even further north. So uh, it's going to yeah. be uh, a hell of a quarter uh, for rugby fans to watch. I think um, we should just watch and enjoy, actually, because it's going pretty well. Uh, just finally, finally, um, Ryan um, played in the Italian Open. Yeah. didn't go so well, but how's, yeah. his, how's the no. fin- uh, final part of his calendar year looking, Ryan? Mm. Uh, yeah, he's still struggling for form a little bit at the moment. I mean, the circumstances of playing in and his inability to get home is, is you know, you can't get MIQ spots. So he's, you know, it, it's, it has, is having an effect on him mentally. He's he's battling with that, if, I'm per- if we're perfectly honest. Um, but, you know, he's, he's we were talking to him last night. He, he dialed in. Um, we had a FaceTime with him and his wife and their, their young one, so, which was very nice. But um, he's basically going to play every event till the end of the season. You know, he doesn't have job security yet. Um, and he's going to start planning for you know where he spends Christmas, which is not likely to be in New Zealand. So, I think if he, you know they've made that decision, I guess if they know they can't come home, then they can get some certainty around that, even if it's not really what they want. And um, then he can focus in on his golf rather than some periphery stuff. Because you know as well as I do, when you're playing level sport, if you've got other stuff going on in your mind, and you're really struggling to focus on you know, exactly what's in front of you, it's it's not not the easiest. And, Ryan's been going through a bit of that, but you know, hopefully in the next few weeks he can fix it. Good on you, mate. Uh, always great to catch up with you, Foxy. Thanks for your honest opinions there, and uh, we look forward to next weekend, eh? Thank you. Cheers, Smithy. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. Bye. Cheers. Thank you. Aunt Fox there, folks, um, uh, out walking the dogs. If you thought that he was uh, just battling a wee bit on an exercise bike or jogging or so, he was out walking the dogs. So uh, pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, um, double eight double three is our text number. Uh, we've had uh, two or three come in already. Uh, Mackenzie mix, missed both of his kicks as well. That's Straddy from the Naki. Uh, yes, he did. So I think it's um, it's an issue. Uh, I mean, uh, okay, a, a kick's a kick, and when you know you either get them or you don't. But when you're missing them a lot, and the problem with Bodie, of course, is he's had a bit of a habit of it, and it makes us nervous, doesn't it? It really does make us nervous, and. I'm sure it makes Foxy nervous too every now and then, uh, even though he knows he's put the work in. So, uh, look, have you got an opinion on that? Yeah, have you got an opinion on uh, the Iwani brothers? What has happened to Akira Iwani? Uh, and how good was Rico yesterday? Uh, look, get back to us on that. Double eight double three oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven is our phone number. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's uh, 9.25 here on SCNZ. Smitty, my thoughts from yesterday's match as we have found our 11 and our 6. Haven't been a huge fan of the Ioani brothers, but Rico at 11 is so impressive uh, compared to being in the centres. And Akira, is he the new cemented 6 like uh, Jerome Kano or Jerry Collins? He's been outstanding for the last few test matches. Uh, don't like being negative, but the front row penalty count at scrum time was a concern. Uh, and also the backup hookers throwing needs to be better. And the goal-kicking side of things uh, is a serious issue. Uh, but bear in mind, Richie Moonga uh, is uh, back very shortly. It's read, of course, from Gore. Yes, John, there, there were elements of, of I, I guess, I mean, we're, we're striving for perfection here, aren't we? Falsely striving for perfection all the time. And I, I'm not quite sure that, you know, we should be doing that. Uh, well, I think we should be just ticking over the way the All Blacks are. If we can learn to watch it, in that respect, and not look for perfection every week. Because if you go looking for perfection every week, you're going to be disappointed every week. That's the way I look at it. Yep, absolutely right, Smithy. You never play the perfect game, but they always strive for it, the All Blacks. But as fans, I think for this game in particular, 
Like three guys sitting at home, uh, Aaron Smith, 100 test all black, Sam Whitelock, 100 test all black, Richie Moonga, the form first five in the world, those guys all at home, and then we lose uh, Adi uh, Savia and Cody Taylor to head knock, Smithy, and we're down to 14 players for 20 minutes, and we still thump the Wallabies in Perth? Like that is, a, and, and Grant Fox said it, that is a statement performance. Absolutely. I, uh, I couldn't be more impressed with what I saw yesterday. And it was those fringe guys that we want stepping up. It is the Akira Yuanis, the Rico Yuanis. You could tell from the hucker when he was steering them down that he was on. And every time he touched the ball, he was breaking the line. I thought David Haveli was big at 12 as well. And Brody Retallick, Smithy. Man, he has shaken off any rust there was from Japan. And he was hurting people all game. So I think there are a lot of positives. And this is a big, big boost, I think, for Ian Foster after he signed that contract extension. Yeah, also, yeah, I, I do. And as far as the, uh, the red card goes, we've got one in from Josh here. Despite what Ian Foster has said about the red card, it is about technique. It has been coming for years that the studs out leap is about a, war- a warning of chases. Uh, Geordie Barrett is six foot five. No need to leap so far forward with the boot out. That could be it for him, as he does not seem to take tests that seriously. Well, that's a bit. I think it's a bit harsh, Josh. But no, fair enough observation. I, I think you've got to be very careful. This this high ball situation is, is because some players will leave with their knee. I mean, you know, uh, when they go up as a more or less as a protection to their own body as they go up. It's a it's a defensive technique against your body, uh, and so you're sort of protecting yourself. You must feel very vulnerable when you're the one, you know, who's three or four feet off the ground, and, and you can sense someone is about to hit you. Uh, that are, that can be vulnerable. So your first reaction is to get up something in, in your way and protect yourself. The problem is you can't studs up. You can't do that studs up. I don't think. I, it just looked ugly, and, and I think there had to be some punishment for it. Whether it was a red card, I do not know. I mean, the letter of the law. If you referee to the letter of the law, contact with the head says yes, ref, red card, and that's the way they're doing. I heard Izzy talking about uh, the fact that um, you know our, our captains get shouted down. Well, the, the problem is now uh, when you approach a referee, you, you're not really just dealing with the referee. You're dealing with four people, uh, and it's very unlikely you're going to change four people's mind. And the one person that you really want to get to is the TMO because he's the one that makes the final decision, but you can't. You don't have talk back with him. Uh, and so when they get in their committee-like situation and they start talking about it as a group, the one thing that overhangs the whole thing is the rule book. The one thing that I, and the punishment according to that rule. It's, and common sense and good nature and all sorts of other things tend to go out the window when you're under that kind of scrutiny. So I don't, uh, for one second, I, I, you know, I, I don't blame the referee. I don't blame the TMO because they're doing their job. But I think there should be some sort, some sort of context uh, within the game that suggests, um, you know, that there's a bit of latitude given. At the moment, it doesn't appear that that is the way, John. It's 9.30, news time. And Robinson for New Zealand. And the past 40 metres. Well, now she's asked the question. That's not there at all. Holly Robinson of New Zealand, 40-99. Tired of being a runner-up, and when it looked like it couldn't possibly happen today, she made it happen.
Well, the Tokyo Paralympics came to a close last night with New Zealand finishing 20th on the medal table. An outstanding performance, claiming six gold medals in Japan, but none, I think, was more dramatic than uh, that of Holly Robinson. You just heard the commentary there and the national anthem at the end of it to signify the fact that she had finally got there, but uh, she took it down to the wire, it's fair to say, in the F-46 Javelin. Um, now, Holly... Uh, Good morning to you. Where in the world are you at the moment? Because it just seems like yesterday, literally, you were in Tokyo. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, so I'm actually back in New Zealand. I just started my MIQ yesterday here in Auckland. Wow, that is quick. That's a quick turnover. So you you must have hardly had a chance to pack your suitcase and you're out of there. Yeah, it it was a very quick turnaround, actually. The last couple of days have just been flat tack if I'm honest um, so I've got some time now to relax and really sink in but yeah I was after my medal ceremony headed home tried to get a little bit of sleep I didn't get much um, and then packed my bag in away so it was pretty pretty quick turnaround. Holly uh, amazing achievement uh, particularly towards the end I, I'll get to that shortly but what about the conditions uh, uh, sometimes in Tokyo that didn't look like they were athlete friendly. No I think the conditions were very different to what we'd had planned and, and expected. Um, we Everything we sort of planned for was it was going to be really, really hot. And so we'd done a lot of heat preparation and, and strategies around dealing with that. But actually we got a lot of cooler days and a lot of wet days as well. Um, I think we went to Saga mm. to start with so in Japan for our pre-camp and we had flooding the first two days we were there. Um, so it was really it was interesting. And yeah, the night that I competed, um, there was a bit of rain. It wasn't that warm. We'd acclimatised by then, so it was, it was still 20 degrees, but it didn't feel that warm for us um, and wet and, and very humid. So very different to the conditions we expected, but everyone had the same conditions and had to deal with it. Yeah, I was just thinking when you're running and, and you've got to plant your foot and that kind of thing, the last thing you want to is in the back of your mind the fact that you know it might be an uneven or a slippery-type surface, is it? Yeah, well, we have um, shoes designed so that that doesn't happen, thankfully. Um, but yeah, like there's, it does affect things like your grip um, is probably the biggest thing it affects is um, your grip, grip's a bit wet, it's a bit slippery, things like that. But you've just got to deal with it and move on. And like the conditions weren't favourable, but you know, it is what it is. Everyone's in the same boat sort of thing. Yeah, OK, let's get on to that last throw, eh? Because uh, at that point you're in the bronze medal position. Um, you know, you've yep. been thinking about what's happened and what you've got to do. Just, just take us through that, that, that sort of 30, 40 seconds leading into that and the actual delivery. Yeah. So I had obviously known after the, the person had thrown before me that I was in the bronze. So I was obviously guaranteed a medal. Um, the first five rounds of my competition were not good. I was very disappointed with, with that. I'm, I, I throw far further than, than what I put out in those first five rounds. And so... I sort of went into that last row thinking, you know, this is the last one. You've just got to give it all you've got and um, and just get it out there. And just went into it, had a go at it, and um, managed to get a better throw out, which I was happy with, um, and managed to get that gold. So I was, wow, well, I was over the moon with that. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. But I sort of left the celebrations to a bit later because I've always been pitched sometimes. Uh, well, a lot of my majors, I've been pitched on the last throw. Com games, I was leading the entire competition up until the last thrower. Um, it's happened to me quite a few times, so I, I knew it wasn't over until it was over. And when the last person threw, and I knew that I'd won, oh, I just all the emotions just came at me at once. And um, yeah, it was oh, it was so cool.
great to have Raylene Bates with you, your, your coach. So, uh, how was the communication during the event? Was that easy? Um, oh, it was pretty easy. Like, they were basic er- errors that I was making uh, in terms of the throwing. So, there were just some little key things we were trying to work on. Didn't quite nail it. Like, the last run was all right, but it still wasn't like where I would have wanted to be. You know, in the world record holder in my event, and I was still a few metres behind it. So, that's a bit of a shame. But, you know, I'm proud of myself for being able to stick with it and not get too frustrated and to be able to pull it out on the last one. I think if you were talking to me a couple of years ago, I would have really sort of crumbled under that those conditions. Um, but I managed to bring it back, so that's pretty cool. And Raylene, you know, we were trying to trying to get that extra few metres that we knew we were capable of and that we needed to get the gold, and we got there in the end, thankfully. <laughs> so what made you choose the javelin, to be fair? Um, I always loved sport when I was growing up. You know, living without my arm, I obviously had some challenges early on in life, but sport was a way that I could really express myself. And so I've done it ever since I was little. And the first time I sort of picked up a throwing implement, it was actually shot put. And I really, really enjoyed it. So I just continued on for the, from then and started to excel a little bit with my javelin throwing. Um, and then just sort of realised that, you know, I do want to go to the Paralympics and I want to see if this is something I can give a real good shot. And so I chose javelin and, and here we are now. So I guess it was a pretty good choice. It was a great choice, world record holder and now Paralympics gold medalist. Um, what, yeah, oh, it's so cool. I, I know. It, I know it's only uh, you've only uh, just settled back into New Zealand, but uh, we we often have to ask this question. Paris is only now what <laughs> three years away because it's a smaller cycle this time round. Has it made you even hungrier? Yeah, it has. It has because you know I. It would have been even better if I'd thrown, you know, what I know I'm capable of and won the gold. So I know I have still a lot to prove. Um, and I know I still have a long way to go um, in terms of what I know I'm capable of. And so, yeah, definitely three years is not actually a long time for us. You think next year we've got world champs, the year after that we've got world champs, and then it's the Paralympic year. So it's really not a big turnaround. Um, so it does make me hungry, you know. It really, really makes me hungry to get that good distance and, and to back it up as well. And that's exciting, um, but for now I think I'm just going to take a little bit of a break and refresh, refocus and just go from there. Well, you might bang into uh, Anna Grimaldi somewhere around about Dunedin, and what a weekend it was for Dunedin, <laughs> winning the, the gold and the long oh, jump as well. Do you, yeah. do, you have, do you see much of her? Do you have much, you know, I know different events, but do you train at the same venue yeah. or, do you, you know, you have much to do with Anna? Yeah, I have a lot to do with Anna and we're really good friends, um, and so we also have through high performance sport, we have the t- same team based around us, so our support staff is the same. Um, so we have a lot to do with each other, and we've both been with each other in terms of our journey for a wee while now. So, oh, that day, Friday was awesome to see her jump and see her win her gold medal, and then me to back it up. What a, what a great day for Dunedin! Like, how awesome! Fantastic, all right. I'm not sure you can have a ticker tape parade in level three, but mind you, you'd be level two by then, you might get a ticker tape parade down. Down George Street, that would be a good thing. Uh, look, you know, yeah, that'd be, that'd be you seem cool. to be, yeah, it would, wouldn't it? You seem to uh, seem to be a, a great unit. Unlike the um, the other Olympics, of course, uh, which seem to be spread out around rowing venues, yachting venues, all sorts of kayaking venues. Um, you got, you guys might just be a little bit more centralised. What was the feel amongst the New Zealand group? Yeah, so we obviously had the same village and everything like that, and. And the village was actually really cool. We weren't sort of sure what to expect with the COVID situation and things like that. But they, Japan, they just ran it so well. 
Um, and yeah, so we were in the village. Majority of our team, except for cycling, was in the village. So that was really cool. With the COVID thing, we didn't really get to cross sports, so we were in our own bubbles. Uh, so athletics in their mm. bubble, swimming in their bubble. So we could only sort of sort of yell from a distance and say hello, like congratulations, things like that. So that was a bit of a shame not being able to actually celebrate and congratulate them. But um, we did what we could. Um, and yeah, so proud of the New Zealand team. Like they did so great. And a lot of these guys have been training so hard like myself. So we all know what we go through um, and everyone did so good. Uh, and can I just get a word on, um, as you say, it's pretty hard to, to mix and mingle under the conditions, but um, Sophie Pascoe, uh, I guess sort of a spiritual type leader um, for the group. Her performance, her ups and downs, uh, her roller coaster throughout the last 10 or 12 days has been quite amazing. But uh, at the end of the day, mm. she's come out with a big smile on her face. Uh, is she a motivating yeah. factor for, for some of you? Oh, hugely. You know, she's an incredible athlete and she's an athlete that's been around, you know, for a very long time and a lot of people look up to her and admire what she's done, you know, and and herself and Will were our um, leaders over in Tokyo and I couldn't have asked for better leaders, you know, they were incredible and she's such an amazing athlete, has done so many amazing things, so I was very privileged to be led by her. Speaking of amazing, Holly, you're amazing. Um, uh, I've seen you oh, often with that. You're, you're one of the poster girls. I've seen you with the javelin in the hand and that steely look on your face. And finally, um, <laughs> it's come to fruition. I, I, just, absolutely brilliant. Uh, I love your attitude and, and goodness me, you're a lesson to a lot of us. So uh, well done. Um, enjoy oh, MIQ you so if much. you can. You've only <laughs> yeah. got 13 days to go, so, so good luck. Oh gosh, thank you. I'm going to need it, I think. The first few days will be alright, but I think the last week might be a bit tough, but it's all worth it in the end. I got that gold, so that's all that matters. Yep. And you bet your bottom dollar they'll be waiting for you uh, down in Dunedin when you uh, finally get out of there. Hey, look, enjoy yourself. Uh, enjoy, enjoy the celebrations when it, when it comes your turn. Uh, you're an inspiration to all of us, and thanks for talking to us. Oh, thanks so much, mate. Yeah, good on you. It's uh, Holly Robinson, gold medalist in the javelin. Unbelievable performance and did it with a very, very last throw. Now that is pressure. That is handling pressure. Uh, it's 9.43 here on SENZ. Uh, plenty of texts have come in. Keep them coming though. Uh, always with the All Blacks and their performance, there are a lot of views from you people. Double eight, double three, uh, 0800 150 811. And then of course uh, we've got some pretty good news about the weekend's multi before 10 o'clock. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 9.48 here on SENZ. I've just been keeping uh, an eye on the golf uh, two in America, the FedEx, the final round of the FedEx. Uh, and I can just tell you that uh, Patrick Cantlay uh, has won. He had the comfort of a 14-foot putt and he only had to have two putts to win. $15 million, $15 million, get that. He had two putts from 14 feet, he used both of them, but it was never in doubt, and his steal to lead from go to woe in that competition was quite uh, unbelievable. More on that uh, later, but uh, online we've got Zaid calling uh, us from Auckland. Now, Zaid, good morning to you. Uh, pretty good weekend, uh, yep. All Blacks, Black Caps, yep. so not a bad yep. double, was it? Yeah, very good weekend. Um, so obviously yesterday, um, uh, what was it, six o'clock? The All Blacks um, scoring some nice tries through Geordie Barrett, 
Um, two for Harvey, Anton Leonard Brown, Will Jordan and Bridge. I think um, probably for me, one of my men in the match probably stand out would have to be either Kerry Ioane or Rico Ioane. Yeah, I think they're and outstanding, how, how, both how of them. What did you make it? What, what did you make of the red card, mate? Red card, but yeah, not too sure. Maybe a yellow for me. Okay. And contact with and the head, though. Hey, contact with the head. You got to be so careful these days. And um, moving on to the cricket, how good was Ajaz Patel last night? He was up, wasn't he? Well, Ajaz, Ajaz Patel was a pretty cool customer. You know, he it doesn't get a lot of opportunities. Uh, Ajaz Patel, he, he, you know, he he sort of has to sit very patiently. He's carried a lot of drinks over the years. He wears the bib, uh, the backup players on and off the field. But I, I can tell you right here and now, Zay, that he is um, he's pretty cool. And I think he just needs a decent run in the team. And to know that, uh, you know, if he has a bad day, he's not going to get dropped because of it. You know, he can carry on and, and have another one. I think he, all round, uh, all round at the moment, the best spinner we've got um, in terms of spinners. I wouldn't say he's the best slow bowler. I think Santa's probably a better white ball slow bowler. But if you need the ball to turn, if you've got the conditions to turn it, uh, he will turn it a lot more than Mitchell Santner. So... I think AJS Patel is just a lock for me uh, in whatever squad you've got because you just don't know what conditions you're going to have when you turn up to a ground. And it may have, um, if it does turn in the T20 World Cup, um, it may be uh, one player that they're missing, AJS Patel. And uh, he's a handy batsman. Uh, he can do a bit. So, yeah, not surprised that he comes to the fore more often than not. Uh, some Texts uh, have also come in. Will Jordan was excellent as well yesterday. His quick hand set up two tries. He has got magnificent skills. I know you're a big fan, uh, JD. We don't have to talk too much about Will Jordan, but he certainly, he very seldom lets any team down he plays in. Yeah, never does. And he got a little bit of time at fullback, I think, for the first time. Smithy, when uh, that red card got shown to Geordie and Will slotted back into fullback, and that is his uh, preferred position. It's, uh, uh, it's you know, it's... He's so good on the wing. It's a bit like Ben Smith. You forget sometimes that is, he actually is a fullback. But he, he looked pretty good back there, and he might get some game time maybe against the Pumas in the next couple of weeks in the 15 jersey. But great, great backline performance all around, I thought. Yeah, I thought so as well. And, and uh, you know, perfection in rugby is, is impossible, says Anthony. Uh, it'd be like getting a test batsman to score 100 every innings. Well, it just doesn't happen. The closest to that was Bradman, of course. And, you know, he wasn't far off at the Aussies, reckon. But, you know, you, if you look... If you're looking for perfection in, in any game of rugby, you're going to struggle to find that perform that performance, uh, and you know that's what you strive for on the big occasion. And they've just got better. That's what I like about the All Blacks. They've got better each time. They've looked more and more convincing in the areas that they have an issue. They tend to fix it very, very quickly. Nine fifty-two here on SENZ. Uh, when we return, it's multi time in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. There's a bit more bounce than the old Kenny Rogers this morning, I can tell you. Uh, WNBA, we went for on Friday. Las Vegas Aces just got up to beat the Chicago Sky. That was touch and go. The Broncos, they thumped the Knights. There was never any problem there. Leeds Rhinos, uh, well, they won in Golden Point. They had four drops at goal before they finally got one. Um, but they got up to beat Harlan. Just it was amazingly tense watching that. Uh, and then Bree had uh, comfortably beaten Perpignan earlier in the evening. So that came through, <coughs> excuse me, at a 
$5.96, John. $5.96. You beauty. So today, uh, the Dodgers, the Dodgers, yep, the Dodgers will beat the Giants at a buck forty-nine. That's uh, Major League Baseball, of course. Uh, World Cup football qualifiers, uh, the USA to beat Canada today at $1.57. And in the English Championship uh, tonight, early hours of tomorrow morning, Bolton Wanderers to beat Burton Albion at two twenty. And that will return you $5.14, $5.14. So uh, very interesting there. Uh, And just uh, looking at uh, another couple of texts as they've come in. Um, Hi, Smithy, you're right. Perfection is probably impossible. But it's partly because the All Black fans expect perfection that the All Blacks play so well. It is a thing we can do to help them win so often, says Joe. Uh, Our team is going like a well-oiled machine, says Dave from Karaka. Uh, look out, South Africa, we uh, are coming up just at the right time, and uh, he's enjoying the show as well. Yeah, so um, there's plenty of, of feedback there, we'll continue to get that throughout the morning, we'll touch on some cricket after the news there with Trudy at 10 o'clock, uh, and look at a really successful weekend for both the White Ferns and the Black Caps. Stunning turnaround. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. I mentioned before that what a great weekend it was for our cricket teams going into uh, the weekend. Of course, it looked a bit gloomy, didn't it? Uh, The Black Caps couldn't find any form at all and uh, the White Ferns were just getting constantly beaten um, by England. Um, but uh, they both turned it around, and uh, particular uh, the Black Caps was a very interesting one on the back of the fact that uh, Brennan McCullum and other people had been saying they're going to set their sights a bit lower, a little bit lower. Uh, they managed to get through to uh, 128 for five, and then they completely rock and rolled Bangladesh for just 66. So uh, in the end, winning really comfortably by 52 runs. Tom Latham, of course, is skippering this squad. And this was his reaction. Yeah, um, it was obviously a, a really good performance. Um, I think the way we were able to build partnerships with uh, with the bat, uh, even though we lost um, quite a few wickets up front, uh, I think the way Henry Nichols and, and Tom Blunder were able to build a partnership and, and get us to probably a pass score. Um, yeah, I think it was probably around that pass score. And, and then obviously the, the, the job the bowlers did with the ball uh, and the power play to, to take wickets up front. Um, we always knew it was going to be tough towards the back end and uh, the bowlers did a fantastic job. So um, very pleasing to take the learnings from, from game one and two and, and bring it into this game. Yes, you mentioned about that all-important partnership of 66 uh, between Nichols and uh, Blundell. But uh, you were in a spot of bother at 62 for five. Were you at that stage a little bit worried? Uh, no, I think we had belief in, uh, in the rest of the order. Uh, we just needed to build a partnership and, and give ourselves a chance at the back end like we did uh, in game two. And, um, you know, that death phase can be a little bit tricky, uh, especially when there's a left-right-hand combination. So I thought the way uh, Tom and Henry were able to, um, I guess, absorb a little bit of pressure and, and then turn the pressure back on them towards the back end was outstanding. And, um, you know, to, to get us to that pass score was uh, was ideal. Yeah, you must be also very pleased with the way the spinners bowled, especially Ajay Patil and the rest of them. Yeah, they've all done a fantastic job um, in all three games. I thought they've been fantastic. They've bowled uh, a great pace and they've hit a, hit a really good area uh, consistently. And we're seeing with these wickets, uh, there is enough um, you know, off the straight and, and there's enough natural variation there as well. So uh, the way they've been able to apply pressure but, but also take wickets has been, uh, has been probably the winning for us uh, in the end. 
right? And how difficult has it been for the batsman to score runs on these kind of surfaces? Uh, yeah, it's obviously different to, to what we have back home, but um, the way we prepared uh, back home, uh, we knew it was going to be tough, uh, especially looking at the, the Aussie series that's just been played. So uh, for us, there's no surprises. Uh, we, knew, we knew it was going to be tough, but we just got to find a way in these conditions. And, and I feel like we're getting better and better at that the, the more we play in these conditions. So um, I still feel... Still feel like we've got a little bit left in the tank from a from a complete performance, so that's a positive sign for our side. Yeah, summing it up pretty nicely there, uh, actually, Tom Latham. But uh, it was on the back of a really good partnership. And uh, what happens when you're 62 for five is you you have to regroup, uh, but you can't have uh, too long to regroup because you're using up uh, time. And uh, they would have known that um, 120, 130 would have been competitive on the, the run of things so far, that they had to guarantee they got that way, got that far. And it was good to see that there was an unbroken partnership as well. They went the distance. And I think uh, I was questioning actually why they would have uh, Henry Nichols. Did they need Henry Nichols in the side, uh, batting basically as a specialist batsman way down there at number six? Because it's not very often you see that on the T20 side. And then every now and then, probably once or twice out of ten, uh, you'll see the reason why. Uh, and that uh, was a really good knock from him. 36 from uh, 29 deliveries. And uh, Tom Blundell is undoubted. He just, uh, I, I'm really impressed with him, Tom Blundell. I, I think he's hes going to be a really, really good test player over a long period of time uh, because he's cool. He's pretty cool under pressure. And we've seen that. He's come into the side. He's played a lot of cricket to get to this point. But he's come into the side. And uh, I think we saw that in the test match in Melbourne. A uh, year and a half ago, uh, nearly two years ago, actually, when he managed to score 100 and no one else could buy a run, uh, Tom Blundell looked very, very cool uh, in tough circumstances there. And I think uh, even though BJ Watling is gone, uh, we've got a really good servant coming in there. And Tom Blundell, and then you look at the bowling side of things, which um, to me is, is pretty impressive because y this is a Bangladesh side that is pretty handy in their own conditions. And there's no great world superstars there, but get them at home. Um, and they are formidable. So Naeem 13, uh, Lytton Das 15, and uh, Mushfika Rahim 20, the only three players to get double figures, and they knocked them over for 76. Um, I mean, they, they just weren't even in the game. At one stage, um, they were, uh, what were they, 23 for one. So that's a handy start, and you start thinking, if you're Tom Latham, you start thinking to yourself, uh, this is going to be tough. We need a wicket here, and all of a sudden, uh, they were 23 for none, then 20. Five for three, uh, and that's what we're talking about. And those wickets, uh, those key wickets uh, at the top of the order, really between the spinners, uh, Ravindra, McConkey, and Patel. So they bowl well in tandem. Um, and uh, Scott Kugeline bowled three point uh, three overs, one for fourteen, and the Grandholm put the zero point four overs, one for three. Uh, and Jacob Duffy bowled four at the top, so no Doug Brace in that lineup. Uh, four overs, none for 14. So Duffy did a good job with the new ball too. So the mix there, John, uh, the mix was very, very good. And uh, um, that would be good. And, and now, of course, I've kept the series alive, which is the important thing. Yeah, exactly. And after that first game, Smithy, I think we were all fearing the worst, weren't we? I mean, we absolutely crumbled in that opening match for 60, I think. And these games come so thick and fast and you don't have a lot of time to get used to the conditions. So in game two, they got a lot better, only lost that one by four runs. And now they've won game three, which is pretty good. And some of these players, people won't know a lot about Smithy. You mentioned Ajaz Patel before. We know him from his test exploits. What about Cole McConkie? Uh, a young fella from 
Canterbury. Um, you know, I don't think a lot of people know about him. And Ruchin Ravindra as well. He's really one for the future, isn't he? A top-order batsman who can bowl a bit of spin. So we're slowly learning about some of these fringe spinners? Well, what we're learning is that you, you, you really do need multi-purpose cricketers. And that's what's going on through the academies now. You, you do have your odd specialist. Uh, you have your Trent Bolts, your Tim Southey, those new ball specialists. Uh, but by and large, if you want to make a, a name for yourself in white ball cricket, uh, you've got to have more than one string to your bow. And that's what we're learning about these young kids that are developing equal skills that uh, they're able to, I mean, if you get, get a guy that can open the batting and bowl four overs of genuine spin, leg spin or what have you, uh, he's always going to be an asset to you. So, um, I, I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of McConkey, I haven't seen a lot of Ravindra, but I, I've got a feeling we're going to. But they have to wait, you see, because this is not our top side. This is not the top side. This is the backup side. Uh, and, you know, that, that is, that's one of the, the other things that was so impressive uh, around that particular performance. So, you know, that, that was good. Uh, and then, of course, you go across to uh, the White Ferns, John, and this was, a, I think, even more remarkable performance because uh, they didn't look like they had any chance knocking over England at any point in the series. And they have. Um, you know, batting, uh, batting first, uh, England got 127 for seven, which is just over six and over. Uh, this is at the Sussex ground, uh, the, at uh, County Ground at Hove. Uh, and then we turned around and chased it with ease. We, we won with, um, with 10 balls to spare um, and uh, four wickets in hand, which is a, which is a pretty convincing chase. Uh, on the back of Sophie Devine, 50 of 41 deliveries, two fours and four sixes. So, I mean, she's a powerful player, Sophie Devine. Talk about someone that can open the batting and then bowl four overs for you. Overs were a tad expensive in the context of the game, but uh, she's so good. Then Satterthwaite and Matty Green, 21, uh, 128 for six. Least it's something you can throw some pressure at because you've got that on the board and you say you go get them if you're good enough. Nine times out of ten, England would be, but put, take early wickets, put them under pressure, and just see what they're like. And uh, in the end, they weren't that flash. They got off to a pretty good start again, and and they were twenty for one, uh, and then uh, all of a sudden they lost wickets in droves, twenty five for two, twenty five for three, uh, and at that point they were the ones under pressure. And of course, then your run rate drops away um, from that point onwards. So. Able to put pressure on uh, at the top of the order, um, and, and then of course just they'll hold them in check. Really good performance. Um, so uh, that series is uh, still alive too. Yeah, absolutely. And Sophie Devine, her hundredth T20, Smithy, because that's all they play is limited overs. Unfortunately for the women, I know they mm. want to play Test cricket, but what a way to perform in your hundredth. Uh, her side needed her. So much pressure on her shoulders, uh, and yeah, four sixes as part of that fifty of forty-one balls. When Sophie goes big. I don't think anyone in women's cricket around the world can do it like Sophie does. I think she's, when it comes to hitting sixes, she's probably the best at doing it in the world. So uh, they got the wobbly boot on in the, in the run chase, as the White Ferns seem to do. They're never quite home and hosed. Uh, chasing 127, uh, the wickets fell near the end and a bit of a middle order collapse, but they were done enough to, to hold on. And now they play a decider on Friday morning, 5am. So looking forward to that. And I think Sophie was on with the Breakfast Boys this morning as well. So you can jump on uh, online and probably find uh, listen to Sophie Devine this morning. But massive for them. Smithy, last time they had a decider was back here in New Zealand against Australia at Eden Park and it got washed out. And that was the last time I think the White Ferns had a good opportunity to win a series over a decent opposition. So this is exciting for them. Uh, we're used to kind of laying the stick into them a little bit because they've been so poor over the last few summers. But this is a good opportunity mm. for this New Zealand side, almost at full strength, to get a series win over a great side in England. 
Well, it's it's not just uh, it's not just us that they have to convince. It's not just the public they have to convince. It's it's themselves. If you have a run of form and you don't have a lot of team changes and you've got the same squad, uh, then you start looking um, at each other in the dressing room. You start looking across the room, and um, perhaps you should be looking in the mirror a, a little bit more. Um, but speaking of which, uh, what about the the fourth test between England and India? How interestingly is that poised, John? Just uh, rounding up on the cricket after ten here this morning. Uh, England have made a promising start. They've got to chase down 368. Uh, there's 77 without loss, so they still need a further 291 runs. Now, this is an interesting one. If you're thinking about having a bet on this, first of all, check the forecast. I'm not quite sure what London's forecast is, but have a look at that. Now, the way I'd break this down is that um, I would imagine that India will turn up pretty fired up this morning, so the first hour will be hugely important. If England were to lose two wickets in that first hour, and perhaps if, uh, if they could get Joe Root in and out before lunch, India, that would be their goal. So that would mean that England will probably be three or four down by lunch. Then they, uh, you start, England start thinking about not losing because the series is um, precariously poised. It's one each. And it's not as if they've got a test match in hand that they can turn around and say, look, we can risk this by chasing these runs. All they have to do is bat normally. If they bat the overs, they win the game. That's pretty much how it works out from, from my point of view. If they bat the overs... Uh, they will win the game. So that's around about scoring uh, 50 runs an hour. 50 runs an hour, uh, which is okay going, 100 a session. If you've got wickets in hand, that is more, uh, more and more possible as the day goes on. Uh, the ball is 32 overs old, so it's lost uh, uh, its initial impact, but the energy levels will be high, and uh, you can bet that, that Barack Coley will be absolutely in the air of his bowlers because uh, he doesn't want to lose now. He does not want to lose this. And this is after India's great fight back. Uh, we're having been rolled for 191. They turn around and score 466 in the second inning. So very interestingly poised. Uh, all eyes on that test match uh, from England. John, so that's our, our summary, our cricket summary, um, after uh, 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, two really good performances by New Zealand and a gutsy recovery uh, from India, followed up with a very good start from England, 77 for none with Burns and Hamid at the crease. Hell of a series this one, and just how good is Test cricket shows again just how awesome it is. In London, no rain tomorrow apparently, Smithy, or 20% chance of some precipitation, but the TAB have got the draw as the favoured odds at $2.15, England to win $3.35, and India at two ninety five. so that's pretty interesting. Yeah, look, as I said, I don't think England will risk anything. If they get themselves into a bit of a hole, if they lost three or four wickets, then I think they'd be go the conservative route. Um, so I, I think the draws, uh, if you can get live betting and you're prepared to sit up all night, I think the opportunities are there. Um, I won't be putting my hand up to do that. But yeah, uh, in all honesty, um, very interesting uh, 24 hours ahead for England and for India. Right, panel next uh, here on SENZ, it's 10.16. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, the panel this morning consists of uh, Courtney Tyree, of course, of uh, Sky Sport fame, uh, focusing on uh, netball, of course, rugby league as well, uh, as her forte. Uh, and uh, Pat McKendry, Patrick McKendry, uh, columnist for The Herald now, of course, Columnists uh, are all about opinion. Um, so, Pat McKendry, has your opinion changed or wavered at all? I mean, are we are we really in a position where we can leave Ian Foster alone and let him get on with his job after that one yesterday? 
Yeah, I think so, Smithy. Um, you know, I, I was I was pleased when he was uh, you know uh, given the chance to re-sign with New Zealand Rugby to take him through the next World Cup. I think he deserved it. I think it was really the only decision the board could make. And uh, the the effort in uh, preparing his men for that performance uh, in Perth against Australia, I, I don't think it can be underestimated. It was uh, a difficult challenge. The Aussies were lying in wait almost. Uh, I think they were sort of preparing to ambush the All Blacks, but <clears throat> instead the All Blacks turned the tables in a just a, you know it was not a complete performance, but it was a very very good one under the circumstances, especially losing two senior guys and Artie Savia and. Taylor. I thought um, a lot of uh, what the All Blacks do was based around their defence. Uh, you know, Grant Fox, we had him on this morning, and uh, other people have also remarked probably one of their better defensive efforts. And of course, if you sound there, you create panic, and, and that's exactly what Australia did. And I, I counted, I think it's four, maybe five intercept tries over the course of those three test matches, born from pressure. Exactly right. I can't remember the All Blacks being. Or missing a tackle in open play, I, I can't. I can't remember them being beaten on the outside by a Wallabies player. Um, I guess you know that they won't see it as a, a perfect performance by any means. Like there, there are a few slip-ups uh, defensively around the ruck in particular. I think I remember Scott Barrett maybe missing a tackle on Summer Karevi early on uh, when Corumbetti's uh, try was uh, disallowed. His first one, um, and there was another one where Brad Weber may have just slipped off a tackle. But all in all, just an amazing uh, high-pressure defensive performance from the All Blacks, and you could just see the, the Wallabies were getting frantic, and uh, that, that's really what cost them. They um, they just looked desperate and out of ideas. Uh, Courtney, good morning to you. We'll get on to the Warriors shortly, but I just I, my first question to you is. Um, after the Warriors, did you actually turn the TV off or did you persevere with the TV and watch the All Blacks? Yeah, I was into the Warriors game and once it started going downhill, I flicked over to the rugby build-up, to be honest. Uh, it was hard to watch. And then when I flicked back, there were players getting sent off and players giving birds to the fans. It was, it was not good at all, not a great way to end the season. So what did you make of the All Blacks then? And do we have um, the right to demand perfection every week? Because it seems to be the case, particularly uh, when the public view Ian Foster as at large. Yeah, we do. And I think they really stood up last night. It was a great game. Uh, loved watching it. And I think uh, the Wallabies, they just never looked like they were really in the contest and the try got disallowed. They just never really looked like they were in it. And then the pressure was building. They looked desperate. And I think, oh my gosh, the All Blacks, when they got the intercepts or they're in open space, TJ Pedernada getting through and then uh, chipping the ball over, it just looked great. And so I think that's what we all love. And I think it's great that they're actually doing it out on the field. And when they put the coaching boxes side by side and then you saw just the joint excitement on Ian Foster's face, I think there was nothing better than seeing that and knowing just, I guess, the feeling that he was feeling up there in the coach's box. His face would have been interesting, I'm sure, uh, after the red card, Courtney. What, what did you make of Jordy's <laughs> red card to follow on, follow on the back of uh, his brother's one at the same ground last time out? I know, I couldn't believe it. I was like, is this almost like deja vu? I think it was tough. Um, obviously, I know how they say you follow the letter of the law, but 
I think anyone that knows, especially if you are going up for the high ball, there's no intent there. I mean, they do it in league even. You're trying to protect yourself. It's the way you jump up. You bring your knee out, which brings your uh, foot in the bottom half of your leg forward. So I think that was a real unfortunate send-off. Um, I, I mean, I thought it was going to be, you know, I didn't think he'd be sent for the game. So, yeah, but I did see that they're, uh, they're going to try and put a case together, which is good news. But, yeah, I think that was a tough one to see. Pat, what did you make of that? Because uh, I think it's one of the issues that it has, has come out of that. Yeah. Uh, and the way that uh, the referees on uh, mass, I mean, it's on mass. It's not just the referee's decision, is it? He's sort of governing, particularly when everyone can hear the communications going on between the four of them. Um, look, I, 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 don't, I didn't have a problem with the red card. I thought it probably was a red card offence. Um, my, my issue is that I've seen um, players of that level, Super Rugby level, All Blacks, and I'm sure you have, Smitty, practice that technique over and over with the, with the foot raised, um, the sprigs showing. And I just think it's, it's been a, an accident waiting to happen. Um, I don't think it's necessary. I think they can uh, practice a different way and, and execute that high ball catch a different way. I, I don't think it's necessary. So like, uh, clearly it was accidental. Um, and I think luckily Corin Betty wasn't more or wasn't injured quite badly because if, he, if he, his face had split open or, you know, heaven's, uh, heaven forbid, uh, if he'd suffered a bad eye injury or something, we wouldn't really be debating it. It'd be, be fairly clear. So... Uh, no, I didn't have a problem with the red card. Um, it was unlucky for Barrett, clearly unintentional. But uh, it might it might sort of serve to remind players in that position to maybe alter their technique a little bit. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I think it, it's it's born by as soon as you put studs up uh, in any form of any sport, as soon as you put the studs up, uh, you're running a, a really fine line, and and that's exactly what happened there yesterday. Uh, of no accident, though, uh, Pat, is the form now of uh, Kira Ioane. In fact, two sets of brothers on show for us yesterday, and uh, I think all of them, Geordie uh, uh, accepted, of course, because he wasn't there, uh, stepped up pretty much in terms of the playmaking and decision-making for the All Blacks. But how about uh, Kira Ioane uh, and Rico Ioane yesterday? Um, Kira's just, they've found it. They've found what, what everyone's been looking for, in about, apparently. I found the number six. Um, it looks like it. Man, he's, he's sort of put together three really compelling performances in a row, and he just seems to be getting better. Um, I think it probably speaks to uh, the confidence that he has now. Um, you know, someone's clearly pushing the right buttons to get that sort of performance out of him. Um, he's utterly committed uh, up the middle of the field, and his pace and power out wide is just unstoppable, as we saw. You know, it's what a weapon for the All Blacks to have, uh, combined with his size and strength sort of close to the ruck. It's just phenomenal. Um, and Rico, uh, I think a lot of people probably feel that uh, the left wing's his best position. He probably underlined that again yesterday. His pace and commitment, um, not only on attack, but to get back and you know make some incredible cover tackles, just sensational. Um, you know, and it's... He's been around for a while. Uh, he's had a few ups and downs. Um, so is Akira. He hasn't been around for as long, obviously, but he's had a few disappointments. But these guys are coming good, and it's great for the All Blacks. Uh, look, we're going to take a break for the news now. It's uh, 10.30. When we come back, uh, Courtney, uh, I'm going to have to grill you on that Warriors performance overall. <laughs> and you can take uh, a reflective look at the season. 
We've also got a new Silver okay. Ferns captain to talk about. And Pat, obviously the Paralympics have uh, come to an end and pretty golden one for, for us in that department as well. So plenty to talk about with the panel when we come back. You think, uh, goodness me, these things. And then we sort of put them on the back burner a wee bit as other things tend to crop up. But, uh, I mean, it's just what some of these, these people have, have overcome uh, to get to the point where they're actually there in the first place is a massive victory in their lives. And then they put the other stuff on top of it, handling pressure at the right time. It's just, it is, it's quite revealing. Oh, 100%. And you, you factor in things like where these athletes have come from, um, Afghanistan and, and places like that, which just uh, ups the ante, really, in terms of difficulties that they face uh, and, and then to perform and well, even to get there in the first place. Um, just incredible. OK, let's uh, head across, uh, Courtney. Um, I'm sure, you, have you got any thoughts on the Paralympics? I mean, uh, Sophie Pascoe, as Pat pointed out, but... Uh, these other girls, and it's been, it's been a, an Olympics, both forms actually, where the girls have, I think, outdone the boys quite markedly. Yeah, they have. That's what I thought when I was seeing, uh, I guess, the results and the medals, and I thought, yay for the girls because they really stood up. But I think what you said, like, it's just great to see. It's been awesome to watch it on Sky Sport and see, just like what you said, these athletes getting over there and doing it, and then also just what they've overcome to do it in the the amount of, I guess, every four years when we do see it, the respect that you regain for them and seeing what they're able to do. And, like, for me as an ex-athlete watching, you just think about, wow, like, you know, I didn't, I had it easy as an athlete when, when it comes down to it. And what these athletes are able to do, you know, you take your hat off to them. Right, let's, uh, finally, uh, let's look at our new Silver Ferns captain. Courtney, was she your choice? Yes, she was, Gina Crampton. I played with her many moons ago when she was just a young uh, duck, but she was always such a great team player, Gina, and I think over the last years as she's gotten older and become one of the senior players, she's really found her voice and her form, and she's one of those players that just leads from the front and leads through her action. So she was my number one pick for captain, and then vice-captain is Sulu Fitzpatrick, who led the Mystics, to their first premiership ever this year. Uh, and so she'll be great uh, to back Gina up at the back from the defensive end. But I think Gina, she will really flourish as captain. She was part of the leadership group under Emiliana Canazio with Jane Watson as well, but both of them aren't available for this series. Uh, but I have uh, full confidence in Gina Crampton as our new captain. What about the magic? What about uh, the players that they've been able to attract, uh, to attract uh, Courtney? This is quite, quite a United Nations and all-star sort of lineup they're, they're putting together there. Yeah, once we watched all the announcements come out, we thought, oh, my goodness, so I might have to put some money on Magic for next year if they can get it right. <laughs> um, and I think this is actually what Magic really needed because they've struggled the last couple of years, uh, to be honest, and everyone has been talking about, I guess, kind of the downfall of the franchise. So... Heading into next year, everyone has kind of said they need to secure some big names. They need to just create a great team that's going to go out there and going to bring the fans back to the club and stuff like that. So I think uh, what they've done, they've gone out. Um, I don't know how they've done it, but they've managed to attract uh, Amelia and Ekinacio, Katrina Rode is coming back from having her baby. They've got players from the Pulse, Bailey Mez from Auckland. So it really is like an all-stars team. Uh, and so I guess everyone will have their eyes on them next season. 
I guess, extra pressure as well because of that. Though, uh, thanks, Courtney, Tyree, uh, so much for your time this morning. Pat McKendry, they were the panel. Uh, some interesting thoughts there on the All Blacks, the Red Card, uh, the Paralympics, and of course the Silver Ferns. New captain Gina Crampton. Double eight, double three. Uh, as our text number, your thoughts uh, on some of those matters, if you like. They're still coming in in terms of uh, the red card. Your opinion on that, 0800 uh, And, of course, we'll be talking to uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, and Paul Mawadi from the TAB for 11 as well. 46 here on SENZ. Uh, morning, Smithy. With reference to the red card issue to Geordie Barrett, it was extremely evident that Corumbetti milked his injury. Perhaps in an attempt to avoid himself being penalised for interfering with Geordie in the air, and Betty was visibly surprised at Geordie's receiving of a yellow card, which is an interesting thing in itself, because remember uh, against France, uh, Conor Betty himself was sent off. Uh, at that point, uh, everyone accused the Frenchman, who uh, really did make a meal of it, uh, sprawling on the ground, moaning and writhing around in pain, and then getting up 30 seconds later to carry on with the game, very much uh, very football-like in that respect. Uh, Everyone in Australia said he milked it. Uh, here we have a situation where the boot literally is on the other foot. Uh, and Corumbetti, did, did you, when you saw that, John, did you think he made uh, more of it than perhaps he should have? Um, you know, there was no evidence of any physical injury to him, really. It was just uh, uh, the boot in the face and the shock from it. Uh, but often do you think that the reaction influences does it influence uh, those outside judges, the referees, etc.? Well, it shouldn't, Smithy, but it does, I think. That Anthony Yalonk, I think, the number eight, he was writhing on the ground, grabbing his face, and then it showed clearly that Karim Betty actually hit him in the chest with his shoulder, and then his head reacted by coming forward and then hitting Karim Betty's uh, shoulder to the head. So, and then he writhed around on the ground. That was mil- That's your classic milking. Like, that's football-style milking. Whereas Croy and Betty, this time, literally got some studs on his face, didn't he? So I guess you're quite concerned at that point in time. Jesus, my face ripped apart. Have I got a stud in the eye? You know, it's, it's a bit concerning. So I don't think he milked it completely. He milked it enough to get a penalty, but I don't think he milked it, you know, in order to get Geordie Barrett sent off. I think he was probably genuine, genuinely concerned that he got some studs in the face and wasn't quite sure how bad it was at the time. I think they're two different. I think the Frenchman definitely milked it. Corey and Betty last night, probably not. Could you, um, would you be in a situation, could you, if you got, were on the receiving end of that, actually state a case on behalf? I mean, could Corey and Betty go to the referees and say, look, hey, you know, no malice there, I'm okay, no problem at all, it was a little bit reckless, but, you know, uh, I just want you to know there's no damage done here. Um, you know, would that would that happen on a sports field these days, I mean, <laughs> yeah. or, or not? Yeah, it's an interesting one, because um, we saw Geordie Barrett go straight to him afterwards as well. Like, there was obvious concern there from Geordie Barrett. I think we've seen it in the past when people get recarded and they shouldn't have, uh, going way back to Colin Meads overseas. I think the the French, uh, the English first five that he apparently kicked came on and gave him a tap on the shoulder on the way off as he was getting sent off. So I think Karoon Betty could have, but it's probably not in his best interest to do so, to go to the referee and go, oh, no, nah, there's no malice there. And does malice come into it, Smithy? In the, in the law book, does it say, if Geordie Barrett showed no intent, then it's fine. I don't think it does. I think it's if Geordie Barrett's boot hits the opposition player in the head, he gets a red card. I'm pretty sure that's what the law says, and malice doesn't come into it, Smithy. Yeah, okay, so I, I think you're absolutely dead right there. I don't think uh, Geordie Barrett's got a malicious bone in his body than the rugby I've seen him play over the years, I think, uh, really, to be fair. So, look, um, I, I clearly, 
they are, are using the rule book to the letter of the law. Uh, Scott Logan uh, has texted in and said, uh, I'd say Geordie was deliberately trying to draw contact in the air in order to earn a yellow card or a penalty. The sprigs to the face wouldn't have been intentional, but the high foot is uh, trying to draw contact. Uh, okay. Um, in terms of uh, another text we got in, Smithy, will, when will we know what the New Zealand home test schedule looks like this summer? Uh, will you keep an eye on the New Zealand cricket website for that? Uh, and they'll have uh, absolute updates on what New Zealand's home summer looks like. But at the moment, how can you be sure about anything, to be honest, going on in this, particularly in the Auckland-type area? Who would know? Uh, another case we hear this morning somewhere uh, in a hospital or something, which is, uh, has got to make people uh, very, very nervous again. Hi, guys. I don't know if it's just me or other Bangladesh commentators getting on par with Channel 9 guys, uh, what, meaning they're the cheerleaders for Bangladesh. Is that what you're getting at? Uh, are they a little parochial? Is that what you're getting at? Um, have found myself getting irritated. Not me, um, because if I hear crap commentary, I just mute and try and make up my own mind. That's uh, my suggestion to you. If they're getting up your nose, get that button out and say, watch the cricket, make up your own mind. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Really busy weekend of uh, racing, uh, not just uh, across the Tasman, but we finally kicked into gear in New Zealand over the weekend. Uh, Louis and uh, black type racing down south, but uh, predominantly too at uh, Tarapa, which Castle's the host here. What did you make of uh, the local talent on display? Yes, really. It's a f- <laughs> it was a funny weekend day. Look, the Foxbridge plate was the feature. Everyone, including myself, and not everyone, obviously, because some people had a fill up on Mascarpone, could see it as a two horse race. The track pattern at Tarapa was a really interesting one, as it quite often is, up and in, as you'd say. So the horses on the pace were really just bolting away, which kind of made jockeys, I don't know if panic's the right word, but really double think what they were doing. So you saw Danielle Johnson on Avantage jump the gates and try and scrub her up and try to get her to the lead, knowing that she was going to be wider than Tavi. Mac, who was the other chance, unfortunately got probably stuck in a bit of a speed duel, was three wide uh, and just didn't kick on, but it still was uncharacteristic for uncharacteristic from a mare that's won nine group ones. Tavi Mac, the other chance, got the rails run, got the trail, and then just didn't deliver. And then you've seen Mascarpone, who Rogie, the great Graham Rogerson, has been banging on about Mascarpone, said that it could be an Everest horse last year. Well, it's finally it's finally won a big uh, sprinting race. I just don't know if anyone saw that coming. Gino Severini was excellent chasing them. I don't know, Smithy, what did you make of it? Well, I thought it was an impressive performance, to be fair. I, I thought it was well-deserving of the race, yes. I looked at Avantage, uh, not, a, not the best run, but I, I don't think that's uh, the end of the penny section for Avantage by any stretch of the imagination. Giving a, a slightly better track and a, a better draw... I think we'll see the real avantage back in action for the Tangerine Army. Uh, what I was impressed with, very, very impressed with, though, Louis, uh, was Steve Hansen's horse, Nature's Trip, uh, and now confirming it's, uh, that is the favourite on the back of that run, a very warm favourite for the Everest. That was super impressive, over a 1,000. Freakish, just guides, cruises, J-Mac a bit atop, pretty much a statue until the last little bit. Elephant also massive in Victoria, and the chosen one flashing for third in the Fiend Stakes. Go the Kiwis, it was a great weekend all around. The 
This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Gary gets here, walks across the dead ball line, now sprints back for Manly. Up he goes, changes direction. This is Rugby League, folks. Have a look at it. Links up with Cherry Evans. And still on for Manley. Away from Hess. Kicks in field. Look who's there. Tom. I'm happy with that. Big chase there. My goodness. That is from another universe. (laughs) 11.03 here on SENZ. It's a good deal earlier in Australia where that man, that man who called that to Andrew Voss, joins us this morning. My goodness me, eh? They could have kicked it out, could have made it dead and just got on with the, the post-match celebrations, but not the Sea Eagles. What about that? What about that moment? Oh, super, yeah. Look, <laughs> I've witnessed some incredible uh, some incredible tries and um, and I, it just, that, that's, not minute, that's not too many minutes on from Tom Trebojevic scoring a try where he beat nine players. <laughs> nine on a run to the line. And then for that to happen... I, there's a funny moment if you look at a high shot, you'd have to go back and watch it today. Um, one of the Cowboys players, the young fella, um, Nanai, the back row, only 18 years of age, and he'd seen the ball go downfield, and he's just put his haunches down, taking his mouth guard out, and he's waving down like, oh, that's it, gee, that was a, that was a tough one, you know, what a, what an example. And then all of a sudden the ball's coming his way, and he's had the mouth guard back in and, and react to it. I mean, what a statement. I know in the complete performance it wasn't, you know, their best of the year. But what a statement to make in the final minutes of the regular season to go into the finals. It was scary good for Manly. Scary good. Well, uh, they're up against the, the Storm Friday night. We'll get to that very shortly. Uh, let's look at uh, the key results uh, over the weekend. The Raiders entered the, the weekend with a chance to get inside the eight. Uh, but I think the highlight of that was Ricky Stewart's uh, comments at the end of it where he completely dissed them. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I, I had been lucky enough to have the goat on with me on my breakfast show in Sydney on a Monday, uh, Cameron Smith, and, and he said of all the teams that he was disappointed in the weekend, there were sort of obvious ones, you know, Tigers and Dragons and all that, but the teams had a lot to play for, Canberra and Cronulla, and Canberra in particular, and, and he just said, Ricky got it so right. I mean, you know, they could not have had a better chance of beating a high-ranked opponent than what they had, so much at stake, and so there's no point us playing finals football because we just didn't, you know, we just didn't go well enough. I mean, it was total honesty from Ricky Stewart. He must have been so deflated, you know, tremendous opportunity. Nick, so who knows what would have happened over the next four weeks? You know, go into the go into the finals against some teams and you know injuries and suspensions and all the rest. Canberra go into a sudden death situation with some big match players who just not up to it. You know, disappointing year and and failed the final test. Absolutely. Yeah, it was incredible, um, and uh, just the capitulation there. And I think uh, we could use that um, that noun as well for uh, the West Tigers, who were desperately poor yesterday against the Bulldogs, that are finally have something to uh, to remember the season by, if, if only that victory. Uh, and then the Titans, of course, uh, they had to play well on the basis that they weren't in, weren't guaranteed, uh, and then the Warriors came up with absolutely zilch. Uh, on the scoreboard, and even less than that in terms of their behaviour. That was pretty appalling as a last memory for the Warriors. Oh, yeah. Look, and, and look, I don't think any, any words that I say now would be any more 
um, <laughs> scoring punches than, and I'd say that figuratively, in light of some of the incidents with the players, would be any more than, than what Nathan Brown summed it up. You know, a lot of hard work, a lot of admiration for the Warriors over the last couple of uh, years, the sacrifice and all the rest. And players just went rogue yesterday. They embarrassed the club. They disrespected the jersey. And it was, uh, it was incredible ill-discipline to the point where I would call on today, uh, and, and they will be charged. I mean, the NRL will have their things, but I couldn't blame the Warriors for taking internal action. They don't have to publicise the fact that they're finding them. I don't think there needs to be a... You know, or maybe they will like to, to announce it publicly, but I think the players are worthy of fines from within the group, within the team. I mean, if there's such a thing as a leadership group at the Warriors, then the leadership group need to stand up to these players and say, what was produced yesterday is so not what we stand for. I mean, what do the Warriors stand for? Because it can't be that. So if you want to create strong culture, then I think there has to be um, punishment from within for just the most outrageous, you know, leave your team in the lurch, let down your fans, your club, your sponsors, the whole bit. I can't be any more uh, critical of the actions, and name them, of course, of, of Kane Evans and, and Matt Lodge. Jazz Savunga will be regretful for his running in, but I could almost defend that. I mean, that was passionate, but then the actions of Kane and, and Matt Lodge, I, I can't defend. Um, I think there needs to be more punishment than what the NRL do have. It's almost as if they had decided, um, and you know that they couldn't enter the eight. The season was basically over, but they just wanted to leave people with a thought in mind uh, about them as individuals. Now, these two guys, uh, Matt Lodge and Kane Evans, uh, they are previous offenders uh, as well, which which makes it almost yeah. as if it was uh, something waiting to happen. It was a case of when, not if. Oh, it's it's pub footy mentality. You know, you expect that in pub footy. Um, you know, I'll, I'll deal with them individually. I mean, for Kane Evans, and I don't say this flippantly, but it, there is a bit of tongue-in-cheek about it, if he's with the club next year, I'm buying the calendar and I'm circling the year. It's 2022. It's not 1975, Kane. <laughs> the game has passed by the sort of attitude you've taken on the field, man, a couple of instances that have been highlighted. You just can't do what you're doing. I mean, coming to 2022, if you want to be part of this club... And then for Matt Lodge, now I know he's listed a very lengthy apology and there's a lot of strands to it and not happy with where he's at at the moment and all of these things. Well, Cameron Smith, again, I go back to Cameron today, said, come on, harden up. You know, like it's, it, that's not acceptable. You are being well paid. You are a professional footballer. What's happened in your past is a, is, is a distant memory now. If you've got issues now, well then, you know, what what is the... What benefit are you going to give the Warriors? So really, the, the ball is in the court of Matthew Lodge. It's fine to put out an apology today, but but, but, but why did yesterday happen? Why, why did yesterday happen? You've been signed as a leader. They were talking about you as captain of the Broncos earlier this year. So far, short of leadership, what he did yesterday, he's got a lot to make up. And sadly for Matt, he's got all summer before he gets a chance. He'd love to be playing next week. Well, he won't be. He'll be suspended for the start of next season. So... He's at a new club, trying to make a good impression. He owes, he's in debt to the club now already. OK, let's look at who is playing next week, Bossy. We now know that the draw has been published. And Friday night on the Sunshine Coast, uh, the number one seeds, uh, Storm against Manly. Uh, tell us about the, uh, the significance of these games and uh, now that we've got the position in the eight as, they, as I bring them up to you. Storm and, and Manly here. Yeah, well, they play for you know the right to have a week off. That's the benefit of the top four. You win in, in either the Penrith uh, South game or Melbourne Manly. 
you earn a week off and you're only one game away from the grand final. Now, I'm going to say like I contradict myself here. I'm going to say Melbourne and Penrith deserve to be favourites right now, but Manly is the side I would least like to play. I, I think they're the scariest side going to the finals. If I wanted a path to the grand final, I'd like to come up with a way where I could avoid playing Manly because I think there is the potential for Des Hasler to have this side. Now, they haven't got the biggest scalps this year. You know, a lot of their work has been done not against the absolute top bracket. The same can be said for South Sydney. The only teams they've lost to this year are, are Penrith and Melbourne. But I still think Manly are getting better. And I don't know whether I can say that of any other side. I think the best of Manly potentially is still to come in this final series. And Tom Tabojevic is now... Well, it's the best season I've ever seen from an individual. And I know it's only 15 games long. He only played 15 games, but he's 25 tries, 30 try assists, the line breaks, the tackle bust, the line break assists, the run meters, the possessions he has in a game. It's the best I've ever seen from any individual. Uh, I'll absolutely lock that in if he takes them all the way to the grand final. I think Manly can beat Melbourne on Friday night. Just on that subject of guys playing in that position, has the league ever been stronger in terms of fullbacks, if you look across the board? Well, it's an evolving role. I mean, you know, the fullback... Like in mm. Tom Chaboyevich's case, I, like I work with Greg Alexander, well-known to all our, our listeners, and of course, former Warrior. I mean, he said the greatest strength of Tom Chaboyevich is when he gets the ball just one off the ruck. I mean, he can play... He can do the hit-up of the best front rower in the competition... He can do the best guile of the best six or seven in the competition, or he can he can just be that absolutely unpredictable rover. Suddenly, you know, move across field as he did the other day, beating nine defenders to score. He just he is the absolute king of just playing what's in front of him, but he just wants to be around. He's around the ball all the time. Like he's just he's never far from the ball, and something happens when he gets it. It's he's just. Um, I know Tedesco is just superb and, 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 you know, at the start of the year would have said best player in the competition, but Trebojevic has now got the mantle. And they both play the same position, play for the same state. Oh, gee, uh, you know, you've got to have a place for both of them, but Trebojevic's form mm. and the way he's adapted to the new rules, the tweaks in the rules, he is the, he is the supreme player now in the competition. Okay, let's look at uh, the second game, uh, which is the first of a double header at Townsville on Saturday. Uh, the Titans uh, have scraped in the bottom. They, they left it to the, the last act of the season to get in. Sometimes uh, sides can sort of say, well, that's it. We made the eight. That was our goal. And then sort of switch off a bit. H how do you see that against the, the Titans and the Roosters going then? Well, they obviously can score points. Um, the Titans have proved that. And yesterday actually was their biggest win in the club's history putting 44 on, but let's say that the Warriors, um, well, that, that was just insipid from the Warriors yesterday, but they've, they've got to fancy themselves. You know, they've got to, they've got to give themselves a crack because, because they can score points, but I will say this as an overview of the entire season. I've seen no semi-final qualities from the Titans. I'm sorry to have to make that statement, and I congratulate them for making the finals, but I, haven't, I can't think in my head that I've watched the Titans at any point this year and said, oh, they've got you know, a real tough edge to them or you know, that's semi-final football. There's been little little of that. And I think Justin Holbrook, there's a quote of him from earlier in the season, he said it's a bit like coaching an under-20 side. 
the Titans. You know, they, they could they could score 18 points in 15 minutes, but they can concede 18 points in the next 15 after that. So they're just a little too loose. I think the professionalism of the Roosters will get them past the Titans. Panthers and Rabbitohs, uh, that's game two of that doubleheader. Yeah, well, there's a decision to make, a very a very important one for Wayne Bennett this week, what he does at fullback. Um, no Latrell Mitchell, as we know. He went with Blake Taft, kid on the um, week. Blake Taft, as I said, only a kid, inexperienced. Uh, and I think it's such a key position because you know that Nathan Cleary's kicking game is going to be on point. Um, you know, in a defensive role, the fullback position is going to be tough for South. Uh, I think they're, they're obviously a chance. I think they're better than the, than the, than the betting prices suggest. But you have to tick Penrith. I think the Panthers have got themselves ready. Um, if they've gone through a slump around the origin period, I think they've come out the other side. I think the Panthers are ready to rock and roll in this final series. And finally, uh, off to Rockhampton, off to Rocky, uh, and uh, the Eels, uh, Parramatta Eels, who've had uh, a little bit of uh, resurgence, uh, uh, you would have thought, and then they got absolutely shellacked at the weekend, uh, up against the Knights. Well, they wrecked everyone, Parramatta. So, you know, I just don't know what to make of it. I mean, obviously, based on round 24 form where they beat Melbourne, Parramatta are raging hot favourites. And, and Newcastle, um, you know, if you if you want to break it down and analyse the draw, they've had the softest draw of any of the teams that have made the top eight this year and have only beaten one of those sides in the matches they've played, but they haven't had to play too many of them twice. Um, in fact, they only had to play one of them twice in the entire season. So it's been a, a draw that has favoured them. But, you know, it's, you know, a bit of Kalen Ponga magic. Mitchell Pearce plays well. Well, there's some potential there. But a bit like the Titans, I just haven't seen enough good football from the Knights that I'd want to be on them in a, in a final series. I haven't seen any sort of semi-final-type football uh, from the Knights this year. And, you, and Parramatta, just based on that one performance two weeks ago against Melbourne, well, that was semi-final-like. You know, they got up for that game and produce that. If they produce 80% of that, it'll be too good for the night. So Parramatta to win. Okay, thanks very much. That's uh, Vossi from uh, Life from Australia, of course, straight out of his breakfast show into our morning show. So uh, we're grateful to him every Monday at this time, and we'll be back with him in seven days to review those four very, very interesting clashes, starting with a storm against Manly on Friday night in the Sunshine Coast. Uh, when we return, Dave Worsley uh, will get us up to date on what is happening Live at the US Open. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. We're into week two of the US Tennis Open and there has uh, been some surprises uh, over the weekend, there's no doubt about it, to get us uh, updated completely, uh, up to the spot actually, because there's live tennis going on at the moment. Some interesting matches. Uh, Dave Worsley, a tennis guru, good uh, morning to you, Dave. Can I start with this uh, young lady from Canada, Leila Fernandez? Uh, she's uh, got rid of Naomi Osaka, got rid of Kerba this morning. She's the doubles partner of our very own Erin uh, Routliff. She's hot, man. She's playing very, very well. Oh, yeah, she's playing great. Uh, Leila Fernandez, uh, I think it's an Ecuadorian father and Filipino mother or the other way around. Yeah, Sara was a footballer around South America. She's got a little bit of that uh, athleticism. She's only five foot six. So she's not big and strong, and that's quite short now for uh, tennis players, a male or female. And uh, the left-hander, she just loves playing angles. And I think it's just wonderful to watch her because she's got so much enthusiasm, and you can really get behind the player who is enjoying themselves. The best thing she said after the match was, 
that tennis is fun. And perhaps someone else, uh, such as Naomi Osaka, could remember that. That this is fun. Yes, okay, she's 18 years old and she's having a blast. And it's the best she's ever done at a Grand Slam. But, you know, tennis is fun. Hey, I'm out there having fun. I'm running around having a ball. Yes, I'm earning megabucks. But, you know, let's enjoy what you're doing as much as you can. And I think that's something really important. So, okay, so Naomi Osaka, again at a press conference, has, has intimated she's got issues. She needs to step right away from the game. Uh, how long for would you perhaps put your finger on that? Or uh, will we see her back even uh, if it's that deeply, deep, deep-seated in terms of what, how her brain is being affected by all this? Well, it's interesting, Smithy, because it, to me, it's part of the upbringing of being a top sports person. Because what happens there is you get told when you're really young, you're the greatest, you're going to be the greatest, you're going to be the greatest. And that carries through, and then you get a few results going your way, and then you become better, and you're the greatest, you're the greatest. Don't let anybody tell you you're not the greatest. And what happens then? This is what's happened with the uh, Williams sisters. You get to a point where you're playing so well, and when something goes against you, you, you're not used to that. You don't know how to handle that, and you don't actually enjoy winning that much, and you don't enjoy losing because you're not expecting to lose because you're the greatest, and you've been told all throughout your life you're the greatest. So when something goes wrong, you don't know how to handle it. And that's possibly what's happened with, certainly with uh, the Williams sisters or Serena, and that's possibly what's happened with Osaka. She doesn't enjoy winning, and she gets really sad when she loses. So there's something internal there that she needs to take care of herself. Right, Ash Barty is out, uh, number one seed, uh, dominant number one seed, gone at the hands of Shelby Rogers, a real resurgence. So I kind of get the feeling of uh, American tennis in this US Open, going back to some of the glory days or heading in that direction anyway. Uh, Barty, a surprise uh, loss for you. And what, what left, what's left now on that side of the draw, you think? Well, yeah, it's a real mess, the draw. I mean, there was uh, until uh, yesterday, until this morning, there was uh, six players left in the fourth round of the women's draw who had won slams before. However, there was no one dominating player. So you've got Shelby Rogers up against uh, Emma Raducanu, the uh, 18-year-old who defeated uh, Ash Barty. Uh, hell no, she didn't. Sorry, she had another win. Uh, just all these 18-year-olds playing so well. But uh, Raducanu, uh, she's pretty talented as well. Shelby Rogers is more of a, a workhorse as such. She's not your, your star. She's not going to become a star. Uh, then you've got Belinda Bensic. There's the Olympic champion up against uh, Iga Swiatek, who has won a slam before. Then it's Priscilla, who's been runner-up twice, up against uh, Pavla Chinkova, who's been runner-up once. So there's a lot of players still there. Andrescu, who won the tournament a couple of years back, uh, up against the Greek player Sakari. So there's some good talent there, but no one's really grabbing it by the scruff of the neck and saying, this is mine. Uh, you still got the second seed, Savalenka, who no one really knows. <laughs> she's on court at the moment. Uh, let's have a look. She's up against uh, Alice Mertens from Belgium. And we've still got Gabin Muguruza, who's won a couple of slams up against uh, the French Open winner, Grichikova. So lots of talent, but no one really stamping their authority on the women's draw as yet. Well, Sabalenka, I can give you an update there, is uh, up 3-1 in the second, having won the first set, 3-1 with a service break there. So uh, she's odds on to go on and complete that match. Let's get across to uh, the men's side of the draw. Djokovic is still there, obviously. Medvedev is still there. Are they the two in your mind at the moment? Well, they're the two standing out. I mean, Medvedev uh, this morning defeated uh, Dan Evans from uh, Britain, uh, 
three, four, and three. So that was pretty straightforward. It's just amazing watching Medvedev, how fast he can move. For quite a tall guy, he's not necessarily uh, muscle bound. He's never going to be, but he's fairly decent. And he's up against uh, this Dutch player, uh, Bodic van der Schelp. And uh, even he admits that his name is very difficult to say. He just said that in the press conference. He said he actually apologised for his name, which he shouldn't ever really need to do. But he did apologise that it's very difficult to pronounce. And on court, uh, we've got uh, Alcaraz up against Gara, which, of course, Alcaraz did that uh, great win over Sitsipas. He's the uh, talented 18-year-old who's just so much fun to watch. And he's going to be top 10, no doubt. In fact, some players have already said he's going to be number one in the world. Perhaps we're predicting too much at the moment, but top 10. Uh, he is in a bit of a battle against Gorowicz, uh, who's up two sets to one. And just starting at the moment, we've got uh, Felix Agur-Arasimi up against uh, Francis Tiafo, which will be an absolute battle. Those two are just two of the best talents coming through tennis as well. So plenty of great players there. But uh, looking at the top half of the draw tomorrow, we'll have Djokovic up against uh, an American uh, Young American there, uh, Brodsky. There's also Berrettini, the sixth seed. And Zverev, the fourth seed, still in Djokovic's quarter. Dave, uh, just on uh, the New Zealanders uh, still alive in the comp. Well, there's only uh, one of them still going, and that is Erin uh, Routless. You mentioned that she's there as Leila uh, Fernandez's partner. It's uh, kind of fun for Routless as well. She's had some question marks over her career at times about whether she should still continue. But then going through to the third round of the doubles now, uh, you know, she's uh, got a bit of money coming her way finally. That will be 30, make that 27,000 US dollars she gets for making the third round of the doubles. And perhaps they can go one step further, her and uh, Fernandez, because Fernandez is just enjoying playing with her, even said, well done and thank you to my doubles partner. But she's playing every day, Fernandez. So uh, Routless and Fernandez take on a, Rena- a Romanian here in the third round, which if they can win that, and it's certainly winnable, they can go through to the quarterfinals where there's big bucks. And Rutland's WTA ranking will go from 108 up to around about 70 or around about 80 at the moment. So that, that's a good boost for her and gives her plenty of money to keep her going on the circuit from now on. As always, Dave Worsley keeps us posted. Uh, he's got his finger on the pulse, uh, all the tennis action at the moment. So uh, we'll speak to Dave in the next uh, two or three days as well as uh, we get down to the really sharp end of the US Open 2021. Right, uh, get the phones going. Uh, 0800 150 It's time to stump Smithy. Good luck to you. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Good morning to you. The phones did light up. There were six of you, but only one can be first, and that was you, Craig, from Auckland. G'day, Craig. Good morning, gents. How are you, mate? How's it going? Another week of lockdown? Yes, another week for lockdown up here in Auckland, yep. Yeah, mate, but we, we plough on, and what makes lockdown better is if you can win 50 bucks from the TAB, and there are three sports you can choose from. Your sports today are rugby union, rugby league, and tennis. I'll try Rugby League. Try Rugby League. All right, excellent. And, of course, if you get three questions right, you get 50 bucks from the TAB, but if you get one wrong, then Smithy can come in and stump you and you can leave with nothing and the others can get a chance or are all waiting patiently. So let's get started, Craig. Rugby League. How'd you, what'd you think of the Warriors over the weekend, by the way? 
Ah, pitiful. Yeah, yeah, pretty embarrassing. Uh, Vossi said uh, it was an embarrassment to the club the way Matt Lodge was carrying on. He always carries on that character, doesn't he? Yeah. Doesn't matter which club he's going to play for. Yeah, you're exactly right, Craig. All right, question number one. Cameron Smith is the most capped rugby league player in NRL history. How many games did he play for the Melbourne Storm? 408. He's got him. He's out court. Not correct. Smithy, a chance for a stumping. How many games did Cameron Smith uh, play in the NRL? Look, I've really got no idea, so uh, my clue there was he's into the 400, so I'm going to say 421. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. 430 games for the Melbourne Storm. Oh, was close. Incredible. And we had him on the show last Thursday, which was bloody good, but not quite. Smithy, uh, next best is Cooper Cronk, 372, and Darren Lockyer with 355. So you're still alive, Craig? <laughs> Question number two. <laughs> How many grand finals did the St. George Dragons lose during the 1990s? They lost three. Two off memory. Beat everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. Not correct. A chance for another stumping, Smithy. Yeah, five. Absolutely lost five. He's got him. He's out court. Not correct as well. They lost four. They lost 92 to the Broncos, 93 to the Broncos again, 96 to Manly, and 99 to the Storm. So, unlucky Dragons fans. Uh, four grand final losses in the 90s, but you did win 11 in a row during the uh, 50s and 60s. So, you know, you've won a few. All right, last chance, Craig. Get this right. You win the 50 bucks. The Auckland Warriors entered the NRL in 1995. When did they become the New Zealand Warriors? 2000. 2000. Feet everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. Not correct, Craig. So, Smithy, uh, a hat trick of chances for stumpings. When yeah. did the Auckland Warriors yeah. become New Zealand Warriors? Right, the New Zealand Warriors. New Zealand Warriors. Going 20 years, no, they haven't been going 20 years. I'll say they've been going 18 years, so 2003. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. 2001, you were close, Craig, with 2001, you're off, but Smithy was off also, so that means you win 50 bucks thanks to the TAB. Stay on the line, Craig. <laughs> he's lost for words. He's, Fair enough. He's lost for words. <laughs> he's, okay, Craig. He's got three questions was, wrong and he's won. That's pretty easy, wasn't it? I didn't uh, didn't uh, test him too much there. It's 11.36 here on SENZ. We've got a, a really big announcement in terms of motorsport coming to SENZ, uh, and that is that race control will begin on Thursday the 16th of September, featuring Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver. You've seen them a lot on Sky TV in particular, uh, with uh, a number of race, uh, motor racing shows over the years. They're a great uh, pair together, and we're very pleased that we have got them here on SENZ. And just to confirm that announcement, uh, in a few minutes' time, we'll be talking to uh, the superstar, the legend, the Bathurst multi-winner, uh, Greg Murphy. Uh, and uh, we'll find out some more details about that show coming up shortly. Behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
Yeah, just trying to get hold of uh, Greg Murphy. Um, hopefully be uh, answering very shortly. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, texts in. Do you think uh, women's cricket and rugby uh, will go ahead next year from Michael and Wellington? Well, uh, Michael, it's really crystal ball gazing, to be honest. Uh, you just don't know. I'd like to think so. Uh, New Zealand cricket will be crawling over broken glass to get uh, that women's competition up and running, of course, with the, the World Cup not too far away. Uh, and rugby, well, it's, um, you know, it's our national sport and uh, they do that the whole time. Um, and, and the NP, uh, the Farah Palmer Cup, etc., is treated uh, on an equ even an equal keel with uh, the NPC at the moment. So uh, I don't see a, an issue there. It's all COVID-related. Um, they'll be ready, all guns blazing every day. They have contingencies uh, and more contingencies planned uh, because every day it seems that, that it is different. We just hope for some really good news this afternoon in terms of um, those uh, people who are living outside of Auckland. Uh, maybe a, another reduction that uh, so some of the, the hotels and bars and restaurants can get up and running uh, very seriously with in-house guests. Uh, that would be cool. Uh, and then, uh, of course, Auckland to fall in, into plan uh, not long after that. So uh, the numbers are trending down. We just hope that uh, the news continues to be good. Uh, Zimmo comes in and says, uh, Smithy, as they say, you're only as good as your last game. And Zimmo, of course, is... Uh, says end of, that's the end of his text and uh, what he is intimating there is that uh, we really wouldn't want the Warriors to be remembered and their whole season of, of dedication and commitment overseas, we would not want that uh, that game to be symptomatic of how we remember them and uh, I for one won't be remembering them that way Zamo but uh, you do make a good point uh, when are you guys going to be on the AMM frequency in Waikato uh, that will be in October um, and so uh, hopefully yep, uh, you'll be able to get us on, on, on the Waikato area there at the moment you can get us on the app of course the SENZ app uh, dead air on 7-Eleven Wellington at some stage this morning yeah, um, we have uh, the odd issue there and uh, it's not dissimilar to um, some of the issues they have on trackside from time to time um, so uh, thank you for sorting the radio out down here in south uh, wasn't working again uh, so uh, the release, the release in terms of Greg Murphy uh, and uh, Stephen McIver, um, they will be joining the SENZ uh, family, uh, and that will uh, be from seven to nine pm weekly on Thursdays, beginning on Thursday, uh, the sixteenth of September. The show will be called uh, Race Control. It will be available on all our twenty-eight SENZ frequencies. Um, Race Control will air again on Sunday mornings between 9 and 10. Both shows can be heard on the SENZ app as well. So uh, what they're going to do there is uh, feature in on everything that's current in the motor racing world, of course. They'll have guests. They'll uh, take reaction from you as well. Uh, they've been working together a long time. Uh, eight years, in fact, they've had Sky Speed going, Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver. Uh, and then, of course... Um, you know, uh, they will develop the show from that point onwards. So uh, both passionate, caring, and always wanting the best. That's Murph. Uh, actually, I was wanting to talk to Murph because he did say at one point he was going to go to Bathurst and have a crack, but now that COVID and uh, MIQ issues, of course, that's a big end. Uh, going's no problem. Getting home. Who would have thought getting home would be such a bad thing? Uh, JD, you're a bit of a motor racing buff, are you? Uh, do you into that, or have you got some news for us there? <laughs> Definitely not a buff, Smithy. Not a buff at anything. Uh, but yeah, I'd take a take an interest, especially when Kiwis do well. Uh, and Liam Lawson has done extremely well. He's uh, an up and coming New Zealand driver. He's in the Formula Two. 
but at the moment he's in the German touring cars. He's just 19, and he's from Hastings, Smithy. So probably a guy that we should probably catch up with, being from uh, Hawke's Bay. But he's won a couple of races over the weekend, so he's up to second uh, in the German touring cars. Basically, put him behind a wheel, and he'll do well at anything. So a real up-and-comer in terms of New Zealand motorsport. And Courtney Duncan, who we talked to yes, uh, last week, She's been in Turkey over the weekend, back in the motocross. She's two-time defending motocross world champion. Came second and first in both the races over the weekend and has retaken the championship lead in the women's motocross. So that's great news for Courtney Duncan with two races to go. But we do have the man himself, Greg Murphy, now on the line, Smithy. Murph, good morning to you. Uh, great news that you're going to be joining the team, uh, you and Stephen McIver. So... Uh, we've got some uh, some quality motor racing content to refer to, particularly on Thursday nights and uh, Sundays. Yeah, mate, should be uh, should be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Actually, um, you know, I can obviously uh, have uh, some more opinion about some of this motorsport that's going on, and there's plenty of it. Uh, not just uh, all the other international stuff that's going on, but the amount of Kiwis and stuff, um, Smithy, that are doing such awesome things around the world. We love talking about them and. And giving them the kudos and um, you know the recognition that they deserve. So, mate, um, yeah, can't wait to get uh, stuck into it next week. Well, Murph, we had uh, Scott McLaughlin on uh, about ten days ago. Man, uh, does he seem to have uh, his house in order? And this is rookie season in IndyCar, and he's he's done exceptionally well. I, I agree. Um, you know, you, people base so much about the absolute results, but um, when you look at the the context in which he's headed over to America with very little single-seater experience and, and he's dived into probably the most competitive year that IndyCar has seen in a, in a very, very long time. And he's uh, dived in there amongst uh, you know guys like Scott Dixon, obviously, that have, and we don't need to even start referencing his success, but also a bunch of young, up-and-coming, um, you know, single-seater-specific or open wheeler racing specific drivers, you know he's gone in there, and I just I'm blown away by, you know how he's um, just you know taken it in his stride and, and the learning that he's doing and and you know the progress he's making and and ironically, it's the you know it's the actually the road courses, the permanent racetracks that are the biggest challenge, you know, and that's where he spent all his life doing that kind of stuff, and he's taken to the ovals and, and able to to showcase, you know, just how quickly he does learn by getting some great results on the ovals already. So, yeah, I mean, that's just one example of someone who's doing great things overseas. Liam Lawson's another one. Smitty, he just won two races on the weekend in the DTM uh, championship in his uh, Ferrari at the Red Bull Ring, and and um, he's dovetailing that, dovetailing that with, uh, you know, the Formula 2 championship this year. And, mate, he's he's um, destined for F1, that, that boy. There's no question about it. So, you know, following... Following his story and and uh, all the other Kiwis overseas, mate, we've got we've got plenty to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Um, if the other thing I, I wanted to talk to you about too is uh, at one point you were making noises, serious noises about uh, Bathurst, but I suppose like everything else, Trans Tasman at the moment that is very much up in the air. Have you made a decision on that? No, we, we're sort of holding off, mate, um, because. I think we're going to see an announcement um, before too long that uh, they're going to shift um, the Bathurst 1000 again. Um, it got shifted a month to the beginning of November, and and um, now they're, they're, they're talking about um, moving it again, maybe December. But that's, that announcement's yet to be made, so we'll just hold off and 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 take it as long as we can and wait as long as we can. I mean, it's 
it's becoming less and less likely, I suppose, just based on just borders um, themselves. I mean, with the the current situation, you know, we're dealing with is one thing, but Australia's obviously just uh, dealing with a whole different host of things. And considering every state has got a a different rule maker, um, you know, it, it's forever challenging. And it's, you know, I feel for all the, the race teams, supercar teams in, in Australia at the moment, just you know, sitting dormant at the moment, you know, not not knowing what's next or what's coming next, and and their you know their calendar has been thrown into complete disarray. So, you know, that first and foremost is getting supercars back in racing in Australia in some way, shape, or form, and then um, you know this wild card thing which was thrown in there earlier this year, which was a bit out of the blue. Um, I think that's uh, very much on the on the back burner um, as far as uh, order of preference at the moment, but um, we'll see what happens. If it doesn't happen to happen this year, there's a good chance maybe we'll uh, resurrect it again for, for 2022. So just confirming, uh, Thursday nights between uh, 7 and 9 on a weekly basis with your old mate McIver, and uh, yeah. Sunday mornings between 9 and 10, so... Boy, you guys have had a long-standing relationship. You're one of the few guys that can get on with MacIver for that long. <laughs> I knew that was coming for me. I knew that was coming. Yeah. Well, I, I do give him a fair bit of grief, um, as you're well aware. So, and he takes it. Um, he does give it back a bit. Uh, so, no, no, we got a great relationship and a pretty easy working one. So, no, we've, we we uh, we're, we're pretty pretty keen to make sure this worked together for both of us. And and uh, no, we're looking forward to to, um, yeah, spending some more time together. Well, that's great for motor racing, Murph, and we're uh, so glad that you've uh, we've decided to join the family. SENZ, uh, Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver, uh, and it begins, it all begins, race control begins on Thursday, September the 16th at 7pm. Very, very much looking forward to that combo here as part of our family. It's 11.52 here uh, on SENZ. That's eight minutes to midday, but four minutes away. Uh, from speaking to Mark Stafford and uh, really uh, he had a great week last week what's he got in store for this Monday he's the voice of sport in New Zealand nothing gets past Smithy this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ 11.57 here on SENZ Uh, Mark Stafford uh, joins us now Staffy you had a magnificent week last week with all your high powered guests Uh, is it true you've got uh, Damon Murphy on this afternoon, uh, last weekend's referee, on why he gave Geordie a red card? Have you got that? Did I hear that right? I can't get Damon Murphy, no, but <clears throat> I have got Ben O'Keefe on to explain the law and whether oh, it was cool. right or not. So um, he's after two. So uh, looking forward to, I mean, it's been, it's been amazing to me, Smithy, the reckons out there. It's just a, it's a it's a valley of reckons. I reckon it should have been play on. I reckon it should have been yellow. I reckon Corabetti should have been carded. So I just want to get the facts. So we'll go to the guy that knows the rules probably better than anyone. Is a top fledged referee. He's been a regular on our show and very very uh, popular with the listeners too. So looking forward to Ben O'Keefe to get the definitive answer on should it have been red? Should it have been red? Should it have been red, Mark Stafford? I think so. Okay, fair enough. Letter of the law. Uh, and it's a pan- you've got to bear in mind too, uh, it's a group decision, isn't it? Uh, everyone points the finger at the referee because he actually pulls the card out of his pocket. 
but it's a group decision very much these days. What, what else have you got, uh, Steph, this afternoon, please? Jacinda? Uh, uh, um, well, I've told her to go into drive at 4 o'clock, so they have cabinet on Mondays, Smithy, so she's, I've pushed her to um, drive. I just said I haven't got time for her in my show. It's just wall-to-wall entertainment. Um, Brett, Brett, Brett Phillips on tennis. Uh, Ian Jones from All Black after the news at 12, just what he's mm-hmm. making of it. And... Uh, NRL correspondent for The Guardian, he's going to come out swinging against the Warriors, Nick Tedeschi. I spoke to him about two hours ago. Boy, you want to have a listen to him after one. Uh, He's going to have a go. Steffi, look forward to the show this afternoon. Uh, Trudy, Brian, John, outstanding this morning. Uh, Really good. And uh, tomorrow morning we'll come back with Phil Tatarangi amongst others. Danny Lee might have lost the The all-new SCNZ Mm. is Kiwi. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.